Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, I'm really pleased to welcome my wonderful friend and colleague, Rosie Green. Now, Rosie is a writer and someone I met in our roles as beauty editors on magazines many moons ago, and she has always been the loveliest person to hang out with, genuinely kind, and just one of those people who is an utter delight to be around. Um, that's my experience of her as somebody who used to see her at launches and events. It would always be so pleasing if I ended up sitting next to her or sort of gathering next to her in a little circle with some other people. She's just lovely. And many of you may know her from her column in Red Magazine, Life's Rosie, which documented her family life in a light, fun and no holds barred way. She's a really brilliant writer. She's a lovely person. So it was really surprising and upsetting just over a year ago to find out that Rosie's life, the one that she had documented in magazines and columns for such a long time, and that version of her life had come to a rather abrupt end. So in this episode, Rosie very honestly talks about the moment she realised her marriage was over, what advice she would go back and give herself to ease the trauma that she's been through and the advice she'd give others going through the same or experiencing similar situation. It's obviously not an easy subject to talk about. Um, the end of a marriage is incredibly sad. She has two children and she has found basically she has, she's had to rebuild. But she's so truthful and we recorded this episode in the hope that Rose's experience would be a source of comfort for anyone listening who was going through something similar. Um, because, as she says, something that isn't nice to feel when you're going through something like this is to feel alone. Um, and hopefully what this episode will do is make you realise that you aren't alone. I'll put all the links so you can find Rosie in the show notes. But here she is, my brilliant friend, Rosie Green, on The Emma Gunn Show. Rosie Green, it is delightful to have you in my house. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm loving your house. <laughs> it's because, listeners, I've given Rosie my um, my faux fur faux fur throw. Yeah, <laughs> I'm stroking it as we speak. <laughs> I've made her a little bed of cushions, and she's got a sushi platter next to her. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, what more could a woman want? Very little. Maybe Brad Pitt, but you know, other than that, I'm afraid I can't provide Brad Pitt. Okay. But the reason I wanted you to be comfortable is because we're we're going to be getting pretty real today. Yep. You've been through something that unfortunately a lot of women experience, which is the breakdown of a marriage. Yep. And the purpose of talking to you about it is not to plumb the depths of your emotional health for entertainment purposes. Mm. It's because you have been through it, you have come out of it, maybe... Or you're still going through it? Yeah, coming out, coming I would out say, yes, yeah. But all the while, because you are an excellent journalist... <laughs> oh, thank you. You have been uh, almost, not journaling it, but you have mm. been sort of assessing... I, I wonder whether actually all the stuff that you've been writing since, assessing your emotions for pieces, has actually mm. maybe helped you 
get out of it in a way that yeah I think you're right otherwise. and and it's interesting it's, it's quite a good body of work to look back on to mm. sort of see how I'm progressing through mm. it and it definitely feels like it's really helping other people in that situation you know I mean I get daily messages all the time you know do you yeah we because okay let's just go back mm-hmm. into your career so okay. I've known you for a long time yes um because you've been a beauty director, beauty editor on magazines for a long, long time. Yeah, 20, yeah, more than 20 mm. years, yeah. And I remember meeting you very early days because I was terrified of all of the big beauty editors. So when I was a new beauty editor, I'd go to events and I'd be like, holy shit, it's Rosie Green over there. <laughs> the least scary person in the room. And I remember when I had my train track braces, you came over and you were like, oh, your braces are fantastic, yeah. who did them? And you were very, very friendly and very, very nice and mm. completely approachable and warm and lovely and always have been. Um, but that's, that's been your background as yeah. working in magazines. And you had a very famous, very well-loved column in Red Magazine called yeah. Life's Rosie, mm-hmm. which is why your Instagram handle is Life's Rosie. Yeah. And actually, that was interesting because that wasn't um, beauty-related at all. Mm. But it really struck a chord with people. And, it you know, it was, it was really popular if I say so myself and it was about the sort of minutiae of you know a relationship and how actually it isn't that perfect but it's funny and unpredictable and and in a way you know I got a lot of feedback that it, it was good for people in relationships and out relationships because it you know it did show the kind of hard sides of it as well mm. all the all the sort of you know the reality of having kind of kids with knits and that sort of stuff <laughs> and two errant guinea pigs and yeah and so how long did you have that column? So I had that for 10 years. And, um, you know, so in a way that was a kind of document of our marriage as well. Mm. You know, it was kind of, I think a lot of people felt they really knew us. From yeah. That. Yeah. And did you ever feel, did you ever feel unbounded the fact that you were writing about your marriage? I know that it was always OH, that it was never names. Yes. <laughs> it was. So he was, protected. yeah, he was alpha male. And, oh, that's right. Yeah, right. alpha male. But, and do you know, I didn't. I mean, I, I almost think in a weird way, there's some kind of filter that I'm missing on that maybe. Mm. Um, I did used to check in with him and he would say, you know, as long as it take, pays the bills, he was he seemed to be fine. I mean, you, you never know whether maybe he wasn't, but mm. he, he appeared to be and he said that he was. Um, you know, there are, the only few times that he got angry, I think I said that his first record was Bross, Cat Amongst the Pigeons, and he was really cross about that because he was like, no, that was my sister. My first record was Huey Lewis and the News. And I was like, I don't think there's really that much difference in how bad they are. But, you know, so he, he, it didn't seem to bother him. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I just wonder whether for you, uh, when everything kind of exploded... Yeah. Whether you thought, oh, balls. There, well, goes, just, my, there yeah. goes my golden ticket. Well, it was interesting because I moved from Red... I'd moved from um, Red to Woman and Home uh, for the... And, and that was the period where it was all kind of going pretty wrong. But I was contracted to them to write it. So that was pretty awful. So oh. I was having to write... I probably wrote three or four, maybe five columns for them whilst it was all going horribly wrong. So that was... That was tough. I ended up sort of just writing more about the kids and stuff, really. Can we talk about, if you're okay to talk about it, and you have a... I mean, I'm not going to give you a safe word. It yeah. can be sushi if you like. <laughs> but obviously, if at any point, yeah. you are like, that's too much, Ems, just mm-hmm. so. Um, cool. But can we talk about the moment, the shock of realising... Yeah. I mean, I... I I like to think of myself as quite an emotionally intelligent person, quite perceptive, um, and I did not, I did not see it coming. I mean, basically, you know, we've chatted a bit. There's there's stuff that I can't talk about, yeah. but but you know, it was a it was a big shocking moment, a sort of you know a realization that it would never be the same again, and that this kind of guy that I'd known for 26 years, who I'd always thought was incredibly strong and steady like wasn't and Mm. and um and you know the whole foundations of our lives you know the kind of the house the kids the you know the sort of future suddenly that was like a massive earthquake and you know in that sort of moment where everything just sort of slows down and you think oh my god you know it, it was almost like a movie it was like I was kind of watching myself from above in sort of slow motion from a helicopter you know and um yeah, I just, I just knew at that point that our marriage would, you know, m- maybe not survive, maybe survive, but also that 
it was it would never be the same again you know right interesting that you describe it as an out-of-body experience because that's exactly what I imagined you would say yeah it's interesting isn't it I mean I've had a few of those and they've all been you know major sort of traumas I guess um and then you know then there was a long protract it was sort of like four or five months where you know we we were sort of trying to well I was desperately trying to make it work Mm. I was desperate for the it not to all fall apart for the kids I was desperate for all not to fall apart from me, for me you know and there was just so much at stake there was kind of everything we'd work for basically mm-hmm. but he just he he was he just wanted out and he didn't seem to be the person that I had known mm-hmm. you know for the, and, and that was just so strange to be suddenly living in a house with someone that you don't even recognize and that you you have all those old things that you'd say to them or the you know the kind of jokes that you might have and he would just you know he would he just always I think I wrote about it and read he'd always look at me in the same way like you know Harry would look at Megan that sort of loving adoring and suddenly he was just cold just absolutely cold he was done it's like waking up in alternate reality yeah it was and then you know I think um, and you know now I've sort of thought about it more and you know there is there is obviously maybe there were lots of signs that I was missing maybe but you know it was so shocking to me and to everyone else because mm-hmm. we'd always seem like this very solid strong couple I think so I can't even so did you feel like you were just living on your nerves immediately afterwards yeah I mean I just felt desperate and I mean I, the only time I remember feeling that way was like as a sort of teenager you know when mm-hmm. someone when you're so in love and you're, but I I you know, every minute sort of ticked by so slowly. And the only way I could really survive was to sort of chain smoke my way through phone calls to people. So I would, you know, I'd get off the phone from my cousin and I'd go straight onto a phone call to my brother. And I, I mean, I would spend, I mean, the, I felt so bad for the kids, but I was like, I think this is the only way I can survive, mm. really. So I would do that. I was just absolutely full of adrenaline. I'd wake up in the morning just, you know, and it, and my I can eat anything like it felt like kind of eating cement you know so I think you know normally about 10 stone I was like eight stone within about two weeks like yeah I think that's when um I definitely remember seeing a picture of you on Instagram and Mm. you're very good friends with Nadine Bagger Mm. and I speak to Nadine quite regularly and I said um Nadine is everything all right with Rosie (laughs) yeah because and I did that terrible thing that I'm going to admit where I was like, because she looks great. <laughs> yeah. God, I know. It's like, it, that's the awful thing. It like, it look, it, I mean, it doesn't, that's the weird thing that you and I know about the, the media as mm. in you, you take a good picture, but it doesn't, you don't, in real life, yeah. you don't look so great, do you? It's like a, yeah. So I, I did feel, I remember, and I, I've got a friend who was going through the same thing and actually she was leaving her husband. So we'd sit all day in this, you know, lovely house of hers that they'd just spent you know, like best part of a half a million pounds doing up mm. in her sort of Neptune kitchen, <laughs> just feeling horrendous. And like she works full time, she's got a nanny and we'd sit there and the nanny would come in. I think she'd look at these two women who from the outside had kind of everything. And actually mm. we were just totally crumbling inside, you know. I'm curious. And again, I'm worried that I might offend, but had was there a sense of, you would you were looking after the family and you were looking after so many other things that maybe emotionally you hadn't been really nurturing or nourishing yourself had you lost a sense of identity i think i'd become very different to who well you know so in my 20s i was very strong and you know i was very passionate about like you know 50 50 doing 50 percent in the house and all that kind of thing and then i think as soon as i had the kids mm. I felt much more vulnerable and I felt like I, and I felt quite alone actually. You know, I did, I found that when they were young, really hard, you know, I'd gone from kind of this amazing job, you know, breakfast at Claridge's every morning, don't get me wrong, I work really hard, but, you know, then I felt really trapped Mm. and also I felt, you know, that he still got to go to work every day which I realise is not, you know, necessarily... It's not like you go to the Bahamas every day, but I I just felt so claustrophobic, actually, right. at that point. And I felt that I couldn't... And even when... So even when I went to work, I was worried that I wasn't with the kids. And when I was with the kids, I was worried that I wasn't working hard. So I, I think that was the struggle. And I think... 
as part of that, I became much more, um, much more kind of domestic, and I and I re- I relied on him more, and so I think the the power balance mm. shifted probably. That's why I wonder whether when it ended. Mm suddenly you've got to make up quite a lot of ground if you have relinquished some of that. Yeah, and definitely, you know, when he was sort of doing the kind of shall I stay, shall I go type stuff, which was horrendous, um, I remember saying to my best friend, you know, I feel like, I feel like he's changed beyond recognition. And she said to me, I feel like you've changed beyond recognition. She said, you know, the Rosie that I've known for so long will be like, I'm not putting up with this shit, you know. Mm. So I think that's really interesting. If you're... You know, you can be a really strong, feisty woman and yet you feel so beaten down that, you know, you know, I would have done anything. And which, which makes me... Like, there are things now that make me cringe, you know, that I would kind of... You know, I would beg him to come home and beg him to, like, not leave. And that just... You know, that makes me feel a bit sick now, you know. But that's part of it. I mean, I've got my computer up over there because yeah. I needed to remind myself... I mean, bargaining is the third stage mm. of uh, grief. Oh, my God. I mean, there was no bargaining. There was just me, like, literally lying prostrate on the floor begging, you know. Um, and actually, sometimes now I think back, you know, like, I would have I, I accepted such low terms that it would have right. been horrific. You know, you stay out all night, you can stay at work, you can... You know, I would have accepted any of those things. I I mean, I'd like to say for the children, but it was for me as well. And so now, when I look back, I think, well, actually, thank God, you know. So what was the tipping point? Well, so, so just before Christmas, he had obviously been sort of cycling back and forth about whether he was going or staying, but I think he was always committed to going. Um, so just before Christmas, he said, I'm, I'm going to go, you know. And actually, at that point, I just thought, he, you know, he means it. Mm. And actually, when I self-reflect, you know, because I think you have to at these things and think, you know, what's my contribution here? I think, you know, I have always been, if I've wanted something, I've always sort of been able to man- to sort of work my way around something to make it happen. Mm. And, you know, this was one of the first times that I was like, he's saying no, and he absolutely means no, you know. That must have been quite... Uh... Yeah, it's like the first brick wall. Yeah, I mean he'd been saying that for months, but at that moment I thought he means it, and actually mm. I've just got to I've got to let him go. And actually by now, I I kind of want to let him go, mm. you know. Well, um, that's really interesting you say it like that because um, uh, it was sometimes when you can hold on really tightly to something. Yeah, but then suddenly you realise that when you let it go, you realise you didn't you were holding on for the wrong reasons absolutely and I think you know there is an enormous amount of there is an enormous amount of ego about this you know and and I think in a way that's why my writing has kind of resonated with so many people because I think most people when they talk about a split Mm. very understandably will say it's a mutual decision I didn't really like them anyway (laughs) you know like uh you know because you want to protect yourself and also I think you you don't want to kind of look like the poor pathetic dumped person Mm. And I just knew that I had to write properly and honestly from the heart that this was what had happened to me. I had been left, ultimately. You know, there's no two ways about it. It was not my decision. And that is just triply hard when you've already said that during the marriage you had relinquished some of your personality, for want of a better word. Yeah. So that actually you you're not even at your base level no to cope so you have to build yourself back up from a lesser position yeah I mean I was much more of a kind of you know domestic you know I was the person that got the tea on the table I was the person that you know I mean you know he did a lot too I'm not kind of grey washing what happened um but yeah I was definitely much more you know I was definitely doing much more of the childcare. my career was definitely the one that Mm. stepped back all that kind of stuff um and and just personally as well i mean i think you know that i think that's the thing about parenthood and maybe and life as well is that you do you do give up so much i mean you gain so much but you give up so much well to that point how on earth do you have that conversation with your kids about daddy going about the fact yeah about the fact that things are going to change I mean, that is all again, that was like another out-of-body experience, that kind of thing where you're telling them that this is what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm from, you know, a sort of 
very kind of normal background in Birmingham. Like I'd say at least 50% of my mates, uh, the parents had split up, my parents had split up. You know, it was kind of quite, it was quite a quite usual. Mm. I'd say more than 50% actually. But, you know, these these were kids that had absolutely would have no thought that their parents were going to split up. Yeah. They would have no inkling. They weren't even, you know, we had arguments, but no more than anyone else or, you know. So for them, it was just so shocking and horrific. And again, that, you know, that felt like I was kind of looking down on that situation. It wasn't what I wanted. So, it, you know, it broke my heart to tell them that. Um, the word that is coming into my, my head at the moment is like, what sense of failure because you've got the and again I might be putting the wrong words out here but as a wife yeah and then as a parent and a mother I can imagine it's really hard to give yourself it's really easy to give yourself an incredibly hard time yeah you're right and but actually the weird thing is the different emotions come in and weirdly I I don't feel like that because I sort of feel like do you know what I gave it my best shot and I Mm was prepared to work on it I was prepared to do various things so I actually there's some stuff I feel really shit about but I don't feel shit about that I feel like Mm. I tried really hard I feel like I'm the one that stayed I'm the one that's you know gets them up in the morning Mm. gives them their Weetabix so actually I I feel quite proud of myself really you should yeah thanks (laughs) (laughs) no absolutely because because now as well you've got a new role which is breadwinner yeah exactly (laughs) I mean you know obviously all that kind of is still going on and I mean that was like horrendous and and again I became this sort of um uh this kind of weird person that I never thought I would be where I couldn't look at the joint account and I mean I just you know I I thought oh my god have I become this person that's just not seizing the you know everyone would Mm. say you've got to make sure the money's sorted you've got to you know, you've got to look after that. And I just, I felt like I couldn't because it was so painful. That's really interesting. Because I, I can imagine that a lot of people in their quest to, or their efforts to help yeah. were bombarding you yeah. with highly practical, potentially, advice yeah. when, your main, when your brain is in a highly emotional state. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to say, if, I think because of the lovely friends and family that I've got, everybody was incredibly respectful and kind and um they they were and actually you know I've got a friend who's been chiving me along very I've been chiving me along about two things to do the forms and then to go and see a counsellor which Mm. as a journalist you'll know you quite often interview people (laughs) but it's not the same as Mm. going to someone yourself and so she's been saying to me go and see someone go and see someone I finally have done that and finally done the form so there was a bit of that but actually I there was never a stage where I was kind of cross about it and I mean I think you know the overwhelming help and love was just, I mean, astounding to me. Like the kind of level, you know, people would leave, like people would leave lasagnas in my porch. People would send me <laughs> books. People had, you know, people would send me messages. You know, I just, I, in throughout all of this, I've never felt lonely. I've never felt like there isn't somebody I can call. You know, and is that because you've asked for help? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, <clears throat> it's a bit like the failure thing. There's certain things that I torture myself about, but actually I've always asked for help. I've always, because I know that I'd <clears throat> happily do that for someone else. Mm. And I think some, and so I just will always reach out. Mm. I mean, obviously I will limit myself. Like, you know, I won't sort of start tears on someone for too long. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's it's an important thing in heartbreak, actually. You sort of spread yourself out a bit mm. because people can only take so much. Um, you know, they have their lives to lead and stuff. So, so actually I felt lucky that I had quite a wide network of friends so I could, mm. you know, call one person a day, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting as well because I... Because even just knowing that you know Nadine, who is like super practical, yeah, like I can imagine that she was a one sort of advice, whereas yeah. somebody who had either been through it or was a mum or whatever, yeah, it is nice as you say to have a a wide net. But I think the most important thing, and again, I want to always bring it back to the listener, is you asked for help. Yeah, and I and I think that's absolutely been critical in my recovery. Mm. You know. Um, and, and not only have I had help in terms of, you know, friends and family, but actually, I mean, you know, we often talk about this, don't we? But, you know, in terms of social media, I mean, the response to the pieces that I wrote was mm. so overwhelming in terms of people were, 
you know, I mean, there was, there's been about two or three negative comments and like 10,000 mm. lovely comments. And, you know, so I think... So why is it that you can remember word for word? Yeah, exactly, of course. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, they were, I wrote a piece for the Telegraph, which wasn't totally about, it was about my kind of breakup face or whatever, about some, you know, treatments that I had. And it was like, obviously they had to give it a big headline. They said, you know... I've spent £3,000 on my breakup face. And there was about two or three guys who were like, well, I'd ask for my money back. <laughs> but generally, really mm. amazing, supportive, kind words. And, you know, people saying, you know, this will be, you'll be glad this happened in five years' time. That's something I've wanted to ask you for a little while now, mm. which is when you, when you look at it, yeah. do you think that the path that you're on now has more potential for happiness than the path you were on previously? I don't... If, I, if I'm genuinely answering that, I'm at the stage where I don't know, which tells you something. I mean, mm. I think I would have been happy. I would have carried on. I would have been happy. There would have always been... I would have always been very frustrated about the, um, the career situation, mm. I think. I would have always been frustrated that, you know, I... I couldn't give as much as he could, but then, you know, I think there's always grass. No, in terms of just like, as in, I felt like he had much of a, more of a free reign. Like if he had a meeting, he could stay for the meeting, whereas right. I had to do like, but, you know, he was also on the 6.15 every day, which mm. I wasn't, you know, so I think there's, you know, there's good and bad from that. So, so there were frustrations. I, I think I would have been, I would have been fine. I would have been happy. We'd have had a nice garden. We'd have had a nice house. You know, there would have been, there would have been happiness. Um, I think now it's probably more exciting. Mm. And I think there's probably the, there's probably the option for a sort of more exciting, maybe more fulfilling, maybe more creative life, you know. Mm. So actually I think, you know, it's sort of secure and stable versus you know exciting and dramatic and creative so you know well I was going to I was going to draw the comparison between one being predictable and one being unpredictable yes. and are you embracing the unpredictability yeah I am and I saw this brilliant quote the other day I've obviously become a bit of a quote fiend now careful um, how anyway. many memes you share <laughs> well exactly <laughs> and um it was this it was this woman saying you know you can't for you can't sort of force anything kind of what will be will be and 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 actually you know, I've spent so long trying to make sure, you know, the kids are in the right position to go to the good school, that, you know, the house is in the right place. So if you're going to resell it, you're going to do all that sort of just trying to kind of battle down the odds mm. all the time. And actually, the there is something I've always hated unpredictability, I think, because, you know, my mum and dad split up when I was young and I just really crave that stability. But actually, I think if I can embrace that, then that'll give me a whole new mm. level of excitement and challenges and satisfaction maybe and in terms of identity now that you are working a lot more mm -hmm. obviously the buck stops with you in a completely different way from how it did 18 months ago yeah are you discovering new things about yourself or rediscovering yeah so I guess I'm discovering what's really nice is that I feel you know we all have skills and talents and you know I feel you know, I'm a mixture like we all are of confident and unconfident about mm. certain things. But what I am confident about is that I can write and mm -hmm. I can and I can touch people, you know, and, and um, you know, today I just filed something to the Times. I'm always nervous when I send it off. And, you know, the, the editor was like, I love it. Brilliant. You know, and that kind of stuff, I'm just really trying to allow in mm. and to feel it rather than being a bit kind of, you know, inoc inoculated about, you know, just kind of just really trying to feel the good stuff, basically. That answer your question? I can't remember. Yeah, what the no, I like, I like the idea of uh, allowing it in. Yeah. I just did a podcast about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And about how um, men tend to internalize success and externalize failure. Yeah. Whereas women do the opposite. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that was totally true. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, in terms of my career, I feel like kind of the gloves are off a bit. Also, I've got something really interesting to write about now. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the thing, you know, like everyone's like, oh, well, you know, just plodding along. I, you know, I do feel like I was becoming more and more predictable, more and more boring, which in a way is quite nice. But in a way, like now, you know, people want to hear what I've got to write about. Mm. I've got a story, you know, and I think because I'm prepared to expose myself, people are, 
you know, grateful for that or happy to read it or, you know. Because you've recently... Okay, actually, I'm going to go back a little bit. So this all happened towards the end of the summer last year. Yeah. So that's the end of the summer 2018. And I have two specific things I want to ask you about, just in terms of the timeline. Mm. That was really, when you think about it, 12 weeks from Christmas. Yeah. What on earth was that like? Oh, my God. I mean, that the build-up to that was unbelievable and I think in a way I had I'd always worked so hard to try and have this happy cozy Christmas because when I was growing up it was just me and my mum and we go to my aunts for Christmas and I love my aunt and my cousins and that they would be that sort of proper big family you know two children two adults well and I was just always desperate for that for that kind of household so I was trying to recreate that always Mm. um and so the idea to me that that it would be a kind of shit show, um, which it kind of was. But actually, my cousin took us in. We ju- I just put the kids in the car, put my mum in the car. We drove... Because your mum lives Yeah, she lives side. in an annex, yeah, yeah. yeah, to the side. <laughs> and we drove to Devon. I mean, it was so kind of them to have us. They, they, they said yes to that within, like, 24 hours' notice. And we drove to Devon, and we all cried all the way there. We went to a sort of John Lewis just outside Bristol and, like, cried into our thing. I mean, it was just... <laughs> hor- I mean, I think that was possibly one of the lowest moments of my life. And um, we why? got there. What was the... What, why does that stand out as the lowest? Uh, the John... Yeah, the John Lewis walk, walking around. Because I remember I was, I was doing that thing where I was chain-smoking through calls. So, like, my friend Amy had called me and my friend Sam had called me. And I just... I, I just felt like, you know, this is a time where we should be this happy family and I just feel like my heart's been ripped out and stamped Mm. on and you know I think actually that this is sort of slightly a sideways thing but I wrote when I first wrote about it that you know heartbreak happens to us all it does happen to us all but yeah when it happens to you it's the most catastrophic horrific Mm. moment and it did it just felt like it felt like the end of days to me you know um but we got there and it was you know, it was pretty awful, but we got through it, you know, and the kids, I think, sort of forgot about it for a bit. And, you know, it was it's certainly never going to be my best Christmas. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, isn't it? And yeah. I guess at that moment, every day when you woke up, I guess it hit you like a truck again. Yeah, if absolutely. <laughs> if I slept. Yeah. No, I mean, I kind of that was the other thing that I was going to talk about was, you know, I when I lost all the weight, I went to the GP and um I wanted sleeping pills because I just there were just so many nights when he didn't come home or he would send a message at like 11:30 and say I'm I'm staying at work tonight or I'm sleeping at work tonight or and the only way I could get sleep was to take a sleeping pill you know mm. and I I know that that is not a long-term sustainable situation so I went to the GP to say that and she said look I I'm going to give you a low dose SSRI <clears throat> so she and and I was I was slightly resistant to that, but I've never been really... I know some people are like, I would not take anything, but I just thought, actually, I need to keep going for the kids, mm. you know. And I remember just feeling that moment where, you know, like about three or four weeks later when it, I could just feel my anxiety levels go down. Mm. Um, and so that did help me sleep. So, that, you know, going on to those helped me sleep. But I did, you know, woke up every morning, and every morning there's that sort of, you know, you have that blissful, like, one second mm. where you feel all right, and then you go like... <gasps> You know, it's just kind of a sucker punch to the gut, basically. Mm. And then what... But then could you then... I know it sounds like a sideways question, but could you then go to sleep in the day? No, I've never been able to go to sleep in the day. Well, it's just always just been horrendous. I've just been so grumpy. I think I have some kind of weird sugar low or something. I'm all right if I then have a celebration or something. (laughs) Yeah, I need some instant sugar. You've got some tank plastics around your fine. Yeah, exactly. No, whenever I go through periods of dark periods I can sleep really easily in the day because it's like my brain just wants to shut off okay that's interesting I mean I definitely used to crawl towards bedtime like even now if I have a bad day because I mean you know I'm sitting here now and I'm quite chirpy and but I you know there are days when it's bad they get further apart and I all I want to do is go to bed and you know now the kids are a bit older they're not going to bed till like 9 30 10 o'clock and so I'm just desperate to get them into bed so I can go to bed (laughs) basically and just kind of yeah shut it out that's tough. Yeah. 
that is tough um it's interesting what you say about good days and bad days you know the mm. gaps are getting bigger because I felt like that with my depression mm. and now if I have a day when I wake up and I just think something is off like you're not right Emma mm. I sometimes lean into it and go do you know what lie under that throw yeah watch a movie write it off mm. and tomorrow will be awesome is yeah that, how do you deal with a bad day when it hits I think well it's interesting that you say that and I think it, you know, because I think we're so programmed to just get on with it, work mm. through it, do all those things. I now know that it will pass, yeah. you know, so I think actually this feels horrendous and shit in the moment. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com and may feel shit for four hours may feel shit for eight hours but like you I know that it will feel better mm. you know and actually things like tiredness and I've learned tiredness booze all those things make a massive difference mm. you, you know drinking. I mean I've all I've always drunk I, I mean I don't really drink at home by myself I never have um but I've always like gone out and had two or three drinks yeah. and even just two or three drinks sometimes the next day will make me feel, you know, low. And I'll be like, why do, why do I feel a bit crap today? And it'll be that. Mm. You know, I don't feel like hungover, but I just feel mentally like it's more of a battle. I totally agree with you mm. on that. Mm. I had a couple of glasses of wine with dinner the other night and I didn't really feel it. It was just really pleasant. And the next yeah. day I felt really bad, not a hangover. And I just thought that's because you drank. Yeah. I know. It's, I mean, it is a depressant, isn't it? I mean, a friend of mine who's going through a split, she... um. She went to some gin party or something. She, oh God, she just said the next day she was... I mean, that's a depressant, isn't it, gin? I, I won't think. touch gin. Yeah. She just said she couldn't work out. You know, she was ringing everyone, you know, like... Yeah. You know, that's why um, me, Bagger, everyone, we're obsessed with tequila, because it's the only alcohol that's enough for... <gasps> I want to get... Was that why I like margaritas? Maybe it is. I think it is. Okay, because good. that was when I saw you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was around that time when we went for Mexican. Yeah. We went for... It was the summer that it all happened. That was the last time I saw you before. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's so strange. You look back and you think, well, was I... Because some of the things I wrote about was that idea of, you know, always having... Always knowing someone's got your back, you know. I mean, we've been together since we're 18. That kind of idea of, of somebody always being there. But it has made me look back now and think, well actually did I feel like that did I feel like someone had my back I, I mean I think I did but then now I now I can remember certain periods of not feeling like that of feeling a bit kind of lonely and not not sort of supported I guess I don't know you know that's so young as well oh so young now when I look at my kids who are like not that far from it myself I think about them getting into a relationship at that age that they were still in at 45 you know mm. it it's you know and then I think well you know we've got to be proud of ourselves for getting that far yeah. you know so that's the thing I guess is like charting the successes yes and understanding yeah the not successes yeah I'm not gonna use my failure again <laughs> no no you can do if you want but I think you know and that and the thing that I really struggled with for a long time was like you know people would say well it's always 50% one 50% of the other you know and he was unkind and he didn't cover himself in glory and so I felt that was, you know, for a long time, I was very cross about that. Mm. Um, whereas now I think it is important to think, well, you know, what did I, what did I contribute to this? Mm. And how can I make sure I don't repeat the same mistakes again in the next relationship that I have, you know? Mm. Is, that, is that what you would like moving forward? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think I need to examine my, myself as in... Uh, like, what are my reasons for wanting that? You know, mm. I've never, 
I've never not had a man in my life since, I mean, this is the longest period since I was like 15. I just mm-hmm. went straight from school boyfriend, sort of left the school boyfriend, had a kind of little shindig? No, I'm not sure that's the right word. The dalliance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then almost straight away met, you know. Mm. So I think it's, and, and so I've just never not had mm. that support. Let's come on to that again in a minute, actually, yeah. because one thing um, I'm curious about is, are there any techniques or strategies that you have been able to create for yourself that you could share that might help somebody listening who's going through something similar? Like, do you have, like, a playlist of music that just really boosted you? Because I know I do. Um, was there anything, were there any activities, were there any things that you really pushed yourself and actually you realise now that in doing those things and that being proactive and not not allowing yourself to wallow, and wallow is a horrible word because it's been used at me before. Yeah, horrible, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But it's very easy sometimes to... It, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes when you feel depressed or down yeah. or something's happened to you, it's actually it can become quite seductive to stay in that place. Yeah. No, I understand that. I feel like... Do you know what? I feel like I'm really lucky because I've got so many friends who've, you know, had depression or struggle with mental health. I think I'm lucky in that, you know, just the way I'm wired means I'm quite, res- not resilient, but because again, that sounds like I've somehow done that. I just think I've been lucky to be born like that. Um, but I think um, it's interesting. I went on this divorce retreat and a lot of the stuff that she was saying was actually stuff that I all already did, but I didn't know they were sort of techniques. So for instance, she was talking about gratitude lists and, and, and actually, you know, even before, if I got a parking ticket, I'd say, oh, God, OK, well, that's 30 quid. And then my mind would immediately think, oh, do you know what? I got that commission for that piece that I wasn't expecting. So actually that 30 quid will cancel out that. So right. so I so I think for me, I just try in the worst situations to think, OK, well, these are the things I'm grateful for, mm. you know. And sometimes that's really hard because it is shit. There's no mm. doubt about it. But, you know, generally there is stuff to be grateful for. I'm really, I, for me, kind of getting sleep, eating something that is healthy and lovely, mm. you know, that kind of self-care stuff mm. really works. And then allowing myself, because I really, I really didn't generally and I still don't kind of sit down and watch telly for like an hour and lose myself in that but sometimes you just have to do Mm, that don't you lose yourself in a magazine so those are the techniques I I run with a couple of mates and I have to say that just that kind of keeps me going because it's Mm. a sort of it feels I feel fit um and then you know we just chat for the whole hour (laughs) and it gets me and it gets me out I hate I'm probably the opposite I hate being stuck in so it kind of that makes me feel really claustrophobic and I and I belong to this gym and I'm just I just really try and book those sessions because again that gets me out because I work at home quite often I'll be at home all day by myself and I find that quite hard so it's good to get out same that's one of the reasons why I moved so that I could with a park nearby so that I can do a circuit and then you've done a 45 minute walk and it feels yeah you've done something you definitely feel better and actually creatively it's amazing Mm. isn't it once you give your brain a break oh totally yeah so how have you because sometimes when these things happen your brain just keeps firing images of it back at you or recounting conversations yeah have you found a way to quiet your brain I mean, I definitely experience that. And I, you know, I, I still do get those flashes. And I think, you know, the, the cliche that time is a healer is right. You know, it was it was very hard. You know, and I do think there is a certain amount of just letting yourself cycle through those things. As you say, mm-hmm. the kind of shock. I can't remember what it is. Shock, oh, anger, bargaining. Oh, no. It's denial, anger, yes. bargaining, depression and acceptance. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going for all of those, you know, <laughs> and I'll and I'll sort of cycle back to all of them. And I think, you know, there is a limit to how much you can control that. Mm. And in a way, that's why it was so nice when people wrote to me and said, you know, you will feel better mm. and sort of holding on to that hope. But no, I would say distraction, gratitude, exercise. Yeah. Distraction, gratitude. And reaching out to people, definitely. Asking for help. Yeah. And I guess when you're in a position where you feel like you've been rejected, you can feel like no one will help. Yeah. I know. Well, it's weird. So I had this two sessions with this counsellor and, you know, 
obviously I felt incredibly rejected sort of romantically, but then I felt incredibly embraced by all these people. And in a way, you know, like even with, with my work, I had never, you know, you're always sort of jostling for, you know, pieces and blah, blah. I never really realised even how much, how deep those friendships were, mm. really, the, the work friends. And so in a way it was showing me depths of caring that I'd never known before or I'd never needed to ask for before. Yeah. You know, I had to go back into Red. The, the day that my ex moved out was the same day my editor called me to say... I'm sorry, actually, the woman at home gig's over. And so I was without a job and I was without a husband. And I was just like, oh, my God. But, you know, she is a friend and I think she, and I love her. And she was like, right, we're going to set up this, this and this. And so, you know, people just massively, mm. almost like I was so low and I showed it and people really helped. That's really nice mm. when people come out, represent and just show yeah. you that you're loved. yeah. And you're right about, I mean, obviously we have a cross-section of friends, there's um, some overlap. Yeah. And they are brilliant people in a crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Like, right tequila, I mean, that's just Nadine. Right yeah. tequila. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but I think people will respond to you in a genuine way if you are genuine. So I think, you know, and, and it's very hard, you know, people often hide how they feel or they, you know, they, they can't self-reflect in that way but you know I think if you're properly showing your colours I think sometimes when you've been through something like that walking back into an office or mm. walking back into a social situation for the first time you can feel like you're missing a layer of skin almost you yeah. can feel so raw yeah did you feel like that yeah I did I mean the, I, I I did but then weirdly again I think this is a sort of I don't know whether it's a weird lip in my personality, but I've never minded people seeing me upset or not professional or all those things. Like I've, to me, I just have, to me, kind of emotional people or people who really feel things are the people I gravitate towards. So I, I'm, I'd never be ashamed of crying mm. and I'd never judge anyone for crying. I'd never, you know, so I sort of thought, well, if you think, you know, if you think that, I don't really mm. care, you know. Tell me about the anniversary, because the reason I ask this is because in my own life, in my experiences, um, I it's weird how the brain can start shoving the images back at you, or like you suddenly realise you've thought about a situation that, whether it be a relationship breakup or a friendship breakup or whatever, and you feel, and then you suddenly think, oh, it's the anniversary, that's why. Oh, okay. I've definitely noticed that. Did you have that when it came back to... A year since it all happened. Well, uh, ironically, the year that it all happened was our actual wedding anniversary. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's like it's like the book waiting to happen. Um, oh, let's put a pin in that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but do you know, I've always been shit at anniversaries and fairly shit at remembering <laughs> birthdays. So I, I genuinely only remember it like three days on. So no, that's not something that kind of that's not something that digs into my heart in that way mm. and I think that's important because I think there are there is stuff that's painful that just sort of comes out of nowhere that's painful but then I think like also what? well like um I'm trying to think what you know like certain songs come on and mm. you know there might be songs that you know have been around for ages that we would have had lovely times to and that's painful but then I won't like enforce pain on myself when I don't really feel it so you know if I probably didn't notice this year. I think I was having a great time probably in... Um, I was away, I think, this year. <laughs> I'm always away at the moment. Um, in August. So I wouldn't have thought about it, probably. Well, this is... I mean, you are away a lot because you've just completely thrown yourself into work, but in yeah. the most glorious way. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I don't know if you can believe in these things, but I, you know, I got this sort of spa gig reviewing spas for The Telegraph, which, I mean, has to be the dream gig, mm. right? And... So I've been doing a lot of that. I've been going to a lot of spas and, you know, some of them have kind of healing, you know, programs and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've, I just feel really lucky. And I have to say, I, I'm really conscious when I'm writing about the breakup and I'm writing about the spas that these are things that I would never be able to afford mm. to go to those spas. Yeah. I mean, I, even people I know who's, you know, they're lawyers or they're, husbands or lawyers or whatever it, you know I mean some of them are so expensive you'd have to be a sort of you know that's the thing about um, mega buck banker to go you know journalism particularly our kind of journalism mm. we do get lots of beauty products that 
are expensive. I yeah. couldn't buy half the makeup no. that I wear. Yeah. Um, and I remember a friend describing it once as champagne lifestyle shandy pockets, and it's absolutely yeah. accurate. Yeah, it's true. You know, we come back and we have our baked beans on toast. And, mm. But, you know, I think... So whilst I'm always aware, you know, when people are... When I'm writing for people that I feel very lucky in the in the the stuff that I've got in you know in the ability to go to places like that you know I've got a, I've got no doubt it's going to be very tricky sorting our finances out but you know I'm always going to have a roof over my head mm. I feel very lucky to have lots of friends I feel very lucky to be resilient you know yeah. um so I'm always aware of that when I'm when I'm writing about stuff because I, I know some people don't have those things you know but they've Do still got a horrible breakup going on yeah, I mean, yeah, because it is. I mean, obviously, do you think the fact that you're changing your scenery a lot or you're saying yes to lots of things mm. is helping? Do, do you think the distance between now and what happened feels maybe a lot further because you have travelled a bit or yeah. you have taken on new writing jobs? And so actually, you know what it's like. Suddenly you've been doing something for a month and it feels like so much longer. And is that pushing the bad memories even further away? I think it is. Um, but what's interesting is in in the in the bits where it was going wrong but I was trying to hold on to it I was desperately trying to keep everything the same so I mm. I remember I you know I write this kind of blog thing once a week for um, somebody and every time I saw the new day it would make me feel sick because I think we're further and further away from that kind of happy couple that we were right. you know so then I was trying to keep everything the same whereas now I just really am trying to embrace everything and really you know seize the moment and do that I mean it's tricky to get away because um you know it's tricky with the children mm. and and they 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 want me around a lot they want me yeah. as much as they could and so you know that's a kind of hard thing for me because I want to be there for them and I hope I am there enough but also for my own mental sanity I need mm. to get get away as well so it's kind of double-edged sword really I know you've talked about cringing is there anything Apart from the begging. Yes, the begging was not good. Is that, well, again, you're, you're fine. It's part yeah. of the five stages. <laughs> is, there, is there anything you would advise somebody not to do in the immediate aftermath of finding out that their husband's leaving? I don't know if there's anything now that I would do differently. I, I don't think... There's nothing that I did that I think I'm really ashamed that I did that or I'm really embarrassed that I did that. Um, Maybe the better way for me to actually ask that yeah. question is to say, if I could give you like a portal yeah, and you could freeze time for 10 seconds and you could whisper into your ear, is it what, what would you whisper? I'd probably whisper, listen to him. And then actually that whole kind of, that whole period of like five, six months where, you know, my kind of, where I was just desperately trying to hold on to something, which as we all know, is the absolute worst. It's not the being dumped or left. It's that kind of moment, the moments before, isn't mm. it? So maybe I, that would have shortened that. You know, and I, I kind of believed, you know, I believed for so long that the the old him, as it were, would resurface, you know. Listen to him, that's really interesting. Yeah, and actually, you know, when I reflect, when I self-reflect, that's probably not what I did a lot. You know, I probably should have done more of that, you know. But if you don't want to hear it, then it's mm. that's really hard. You know, no one wants to hear that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's. Do you know? It's funny. I was having a conversation with this about um, about this to someone this week about um, making yourself heard, being yeah. clear, and how you can be as clear as you want to be. But if somebody's got a different lens on, they are going to interpret your words differently. Yeah, and actually, you know, I know we're going to come on to this, but in terms of sort of dating and things, I'm really, really trying to listen to what people are telling me about their situations and how they feel and rather than me think you know because I, I I definitely have that female thing of like well if you think that I'm gorgeous and clever and funny and kind and witty like whatever your situation is you know you'll be desperately knocking down my door I'll you override know. it yeah exactly <laughs> and I think I don't know whether that's a female thing or whether that's a whether that's you know me more than you know but I I am um, I do realise that actually there are practicalities and there are kind of, and there are other reasons that people... I want to unpick that. That's interesting. Mm. So rather than thinking I'm going to, be, as long as I can beguile this person with X, Y and Z, yes. I need to understand that his A, B and C might be... Yeah. 
And and I think for so long, you know, I think I, without sounding like an asshole, I think I have gen. I think you know, I'm I am able quite often to. I mean, I'm not sure I'd say beguile, but I'm able <laughs> to. You know, I think that my personality and the way I am means that generally people will like me and will yeah. help me. You know, and will help me get to where I want to be. And so I think, in a way, that that's a really good lesson for me to learn. Actually, you can't force people. You, you know, actually, it's you're going to be on sticky foundations if you do. You know. So when you come into the dating world, are yeah. you trying to listen to your gut a lot more, or just listen to the other person a lot more, or both? I'm trying to listen uh, a, a bit of both. Mm. You know, I mean, obviously, I just wrote a piece for the Times, which isn't out yet, just sort of saying, you know, I'm 45 years old and I've never been on a date, which you know, until kind of this summer, I hadn't. So it's a whole new world for me. It's exciting, it's terrifying. Sometimes it makes feel physically sick. Sometimes it makes feel really excited. You know, it's a kind of... It's really... It's a sort of mix of emotion. Does you it know. make you angry that you're having to date again? No. Do you know what? That's the one stage I haven't really had. I haven't really had the anger. And I don't know whether that's about to come out or whether I just won't ever have it. Or No, it doesn't make me... It doesn't make me angry. Sometimes I, like, go to the loo and think, fucking hell, like... Well, how am I here? You know, like, what is going on? On this date. Yeah. And then, you know, then you've got all your mates going, God, this is just so exciting, mm. you know. And so, in a way, it is exciting. So, you know, it's just trying to take the good bits. Um, are you doing things on dates, like, are you thinking that you wouldn't have had to have thought of before, of, like, what, what can I eat? What's, like, what's date-appropriate food? Yeah. Obviously, I'm not touching the spaghetti or yeah, the linguine. exactly, or the... Or the um, all the garlic. the garlic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, all that's so funny, I have to say. And, you know, there's something um, in, in this piece, uh, there's something about sort of midlife dating, especially with kids, where I had this thing and I got, like, the kids have come back, they've got nits. Now, normally kids only get nits, like, sub 12. You, yeah, you sort of think, you know, they're, yeah, they're um, 12 and 14. No, right. So they got nits, so they'll really thank me for saying that. And, um, I was going on a date and I was like, fuck, if they've got nits, I might have nits, right? <laughs> but I thought, I'm, I'm not going to use that horrific knit shampoo because it makes you look like one of the orcs from Lord of the Rings. You cannot then get it out. It covers your hair in silicone. So unless I have got nits, I'm not using it. Um, and so I had to get my friend around to come and check my hair for nits. And she was laughing because she was saying, you know, like, most people are worried they've got chlamydia when they're going on a date. You are worried that you've got nits. So, you know, there's a whole different raft of, you know, things to worry about. Totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's interesting. And actually, in terms of confidence, I, you know, God, I'm. Sure, I mean, I've had some shitty situations, but you know, they've been outweighed by the good situations. And it does make me realise that actually, I can get on with people. You know, I, I hope that I'm good company. I think, you know, I think I'll be all right. I mean, I have days when I don't think I'll be all right, but I think yeah. most of the time, you know, I will have another relationship. I will find someone else to love and. The other okay. way around. So earlier on in the conversation, I said, do you think you have the potential to be happier now mm. that you're on this path? So maybe, I guess, and then we went from predictable to unpredictable. Mm. But I wonder whether it's... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. That's an angry driver outside. Um, what I'm trying to think of the right thing, of what it's like, of basically you're just your experience is different now moving yeah. forward but it's broader yeah and the potential for new and interesting and exciting things is obviously I would say potentially has increased yeah and I think you know as a sort of 18 year old I just absolutely wanted the strong steady person mm. and you know part of me just really wants that are you no. now the strong steady person well that's what I want to be I mean, I don't, you know, sometimes I don't feel strong and steady, but I think, it, you know, the point that I want to get to is that I, you know, I'm enough by myself and I can go out and find somebody else. So I don't actually need someone mm. who is going to be like, you know, who's, who is, who's just going to be there and be, you know, I can, I can look for stuff that intellectually challenges me. Not that I'm, you know, don't want to be too mean about my ex, but, you know, somebody who, somebody who, creatively challenging me, someone who intellectually challenges me, someone who, who, you know, might bring a new dimension to my career, somebody, not in a using type way, but, you know, so, yeah, I think there is possibility for really exciting stuff. But, you know, then my friend who's been dating for 10 years, like, don't get too excited, Green. <laughs> <laughs> but you are also doing 
and again, maybe slightly through work as well, when you mm. talk about going to these spas and clinging to a crystal and yeah. going deep. I mean, you know how I feel about crystals. Yeah. But, um, but actually having some of that time and going inward yeah. is, is really powerful. And I, I definitely know people who've gone through marriage breakups who they, you know, it's the whole get back on the horse or it's like yeah. riding a bike, all of that. Whereas I'm always like, well, just get to know yourself. But then obviously I'm like a... No, I think you're absolutely right. And I feel like probably the sensible thing would be to be by myself for a year. Mm. Um, but I I find that hard because, I mean, let's face it, who doesn't like snogging and cuddling? Or, <laughs> uh, so I think, I think what I'm going to try and do instead of that is just to really kind of keep going to this counsellor who I've only been for two seconds but second two sessions but seems to really help actually Mm. in in sort of making me understand some of my behaviours um and try as we were saying not to force stuff and just to kind of be relaxed about it because actually in terms of I've got I've got a great career I've got a house I've got my kids I've got you know lovely friends I don't need somebody Mm. so you know I want it to be someone really special you know and also, even though if you just wanted to be quite crass about it, this happened to you. Yeah. It doesn't feel as though you sit in a place of, this happened to me and it's bloody unfair and everything now. Because I feel like I've definitely done this in this situation. You can then self-sabotage because you're like, mm. well, look at how bad it is. Yeah. And you almost, you almost help the situation get worse. By yeah. going, by sitting in a negative space and listeners, I'm saying this is someone who's done it. I'm not judging. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like you have ever really stepped into that place. No, I mean, the self-sabotaging I do do is I sort of feel sometimes like I'm kind of not good enough or, you know, there must be a reason. I must have dropped my beguiling skills for a bit, you know. <laughs> um, so I do do that. But I had there was a really interesting thing, and I hope you won't mind me talking about it, but a really good good friends of mine a married couple he's very successful works in the city earns lots of cash um and he was made redundant totally out of the blue and he you know i just remember going around you know massive mortgage three kids you know blah. and i remember sort of going around going oh my god i'm you know really sorry and he was like well yeah it's a bit shit but actually it's the summer i'm gonna have a really nice summer and then i'll find something and that immediately made us all think, well, he'll find something and he's mm-hmm. fine. And he did find something and he was fine. And I just thought, actually, it's about a belief and mm-hmm. part of it is about projecting that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not fake. I, I, think I, I think I will be okay, you know. Sometimes on the bad days, I don't. Yeah, you know. it's, it's not being incongruous. It's not thinking, well, yes. if I just tell everyone I'm fine, no. then I will be fine. It's, yeah they're the same that you're yes. not faking and covering I'm not up. faking it because some days I don't feel like it'll be fine mm. but generally I do you know and again because we're coming to the end of our time together now but um if somebody's listening to this and they've found themselves in your situation mm. whether it's just happened or like you they've some time has passed what really is the key key advice that you think not necessarily will make it easier, but we'll just give them some comfort. I think it's different in different zones. I think in the first zone, it's that, you know, it's just so awful. So it's about just being kind to yourself. It's like whatever gets you through that moment, whether that's calling a friend, whether that's reading a magazine, whether that is having a cup of tea, whether, you know, just get yourself through those moments. I mean, for me, I started, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, started listening to The Archers. <laughs> I went through a phase of loving the yeah. artists. But, you know, it's just like, thank God, that's just like 10 minutes where I'm not thinking about yeah. it, you know. So I think that's really important. You know, it really helped me. It really helped me to read stuff. You know, people were really kind and they recommended things. And I think, you know, as we were saying, if you understand, it, it, that just makes it so much easier. And then I would say, you know, reach out to people. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. people do want to help, you know. I think the really powerful thing that you said in the last hour is listen to him yeah if you could go back and you had like a back to the future style moment yeah I mean it's hard because I do I think that and then I think there are certain things that I mean just because someone's saying something doesn't mean it's true so but you know I do think I do think that that listening is important and it's not something I'm brilliant at so I think I need to do a bit more of that Mm. 
That's so amazing. Thank you, Rosie. I really appreciate you sharing. Thank you. Sushi, rug, my sofa. <laughs> I tell you, it's all good. <laughs> well, no, I just think you're really brilliant for opening up and being so honest because I know the you who isn't in the magazines. Yeah. And I know that there's not a great deal of difference. Like, you'll be yeah. very honest with everybody. Yeah. And I think that does give other people such comfort and power yeah thank you to see their situations reflected so I think you should definitely give yourself a massive pat on the back is that patronising yeah no no I'll take it no I think you should be really proud of yourself thank you you I think it's the the quintessential something shit happened to you and you turned it around into a positive yeah oh thank you very much well I have just had my um wedding ring turned into engagement ring turned into earrings which is quite fabulous so that's good we'll leave it on that (laughs) (laughs) i want to see them immediately exactly thank you so much thank you bye thank you so much for listening it's always a delight to spend this time with you um if you want to get in touch with the show please do email thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can dm me on instagram and twitter where i'm at emma guns You can also join the closed Facebook group. Just uh, click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Answer the three questions, agree to the forum rules, and you'll be welcomed in with open arms by me and thousands of other listeners to the podcast. I will obviously put the links to Rosie in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with her too, she is very good at getting back to people. And thank you again for listening. It's been a delight to spend this time with you, and I hope you found that episode useful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.